Again, th this is absolutely explosive. I posted about this on Twitter uh, immediately as it was happening. So Russia has announced that all unfriendly nations must now pay for gas, not in US dollars, not in euros, in rubles, in, in, in the Russian currency. This is a game changer. Uh, and again, by itself, we're not going to look at it just by itself because there are many other things happening, which I'll expand on in a second. But just take a look first at the uh, announcement from uh, the Russian President Vladimir Putin. Мною принято решение в самое короткое время реализовать комплекс мер по переводу оплаты, начнем с этого, с нашего природного газа, переводу оплаты нашего природного газа, поставляемого в так называемые недружественные страны за российские рубли. То есть отказаться от использования в таких расчетах всех скомпрометировавших себя валют. So th this, is, this is absolutely phenomenal. Remember, uh, Europe, the European continent, gets about 40%, 40% of its gas from Russia. So per day, that means 200 to 800 million euros every single day to Russia. Now, the United States has banned uh, uh, imports of Russian energy, but again, the United States uh, only consumes 3% of its uh, 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 crude from Russia, whereas, again, uh, we're talking about gas now, and, and Europe, 40% uh, of Europe's gas comes from Russia. So it's, uh, yeah, these are astronomical figures. I, I, in a year, the Russians make about uh, between 30 to 40 billion euros just from, from gas. And so, uh, I, again, going back to my thread on Twitter, uh, you know, Putin is basically saying if you want to play sanctions, either pay up in rubles or freeze. Right. And this applies, again, to all unfriendly nations. So what does that mean, unfriendly nations? Well, you guys know that, that after this war began in Ukraine, uh, Russia w was sanctioned by, by dozens of countries. And then Russia put these countries on a list and published the list and, and declared these unfriendly nations. And that, of course, includes the European Union, uh, the United States, Japan, Norway and so on. So it doesn't just apply to Europe. So even if those other countries, l let's say, for example, the United States all of a sudden wants to buy Russian gas, uh, Russian oil again, it would have to pay them in rubles. It's not going to do that, obviously, but it just to, just to drive the point home. Now, uh, just to give you an idea how significant this is, immediately after Putin announced that all gas payments from unfriendly nations must be done in, in, in rubles, look what happened. So the, the, the ruble, it leapt up to its strongest point against the dollar and the euro since March 2nd. So, you know, in almost a month. Um, after, the, after it was plummeting because of all the sanctions. And uh, uh, again, they targeted the Russian central bank. They froze its assets and so on. And also the, the gas prices rose, of course. So benchmark European gas in Amsterdam rose 21%. I've seen others 30%. And th this is, this is uh, a game changer. Again, because the whole concept of, you know, where does the United States draw its, um, its uh, hegemony from? Of course, it has hard power, the, the military, the, it, you know, its, it's um, land mass and things like this. But one of those, the, 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 the big, big sources of, of U.S. hegemony is the U.S. dollar. So, of course, Bretton Woods, uh, you know, uh, end of World War II, 
they peg the United States dollar to the gold standard. Then in the 70s, Nixon removes the U.S. dollar from the gold standard, and you have the de facto creation of the petrodollar. So basically, in exchange for security from the U.S., the Saudis uh, will only will exclusively sell oil in United States dollars. And of course, um, in general, so oil aside, just all transactions globally, about half of all transactions are done in U.S. dollars, and oil, the vast majority, uh, also in U.S. dollars. And so the the United States derives much of its economic power from this basic fact. And right now you have many things that are happening that are challenging the petrodollar. And uh, we've, we've gone through many of these, right? So um, one of them is the fact that Saudi Arabia is refusing to produce more oil for the United States to bring the prices down. Because again, after the US sanctioned Russia, the oil prices went up globally, $135 per barrel, the highest since uh, 2008. And so the United States is scrambling quick, we need you guys to make more oil. So they're calling up their lapdogs in Saudi Arabia and the Emirates, and they're not picking up the phone. Not only that, the Saudis are going to the Chinese and saying, you know what, we might sell you oil in, not US dollars, in Chinese one. <laughs> so on top of that, the United States realized, oh crap, we've been sanctioning Venezuela for decades. We've been sanctioning Iran for decades. We need their oil. Now all of a sudden, Biden... He, he wants to jump back into the nuclear deal. About time, huh? He wants to get back in the nuclear deal because that means lifting sanctions on Iran, and that means Iranian oil back on the global market, and that means lower oil prices. What did Russia do? Russia threw in this uh, demand for a written guarantee that uh, relations between Iran and Russia won't result in Iran being sanctioned or punished for that. And so they basically stalled the nuclear deal a bit. It's not the only reason. We went through the other concerns that there are. Uh, you know, there's, for example, the removal of the um, Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, the IRGC, from the U.S. terror list. But in any case, that's been stalled for now. That's one thing where the Americans really want Iranian oil back on the market. Uh, the U.K. even paid a 400 million pound debt to the Iranians to sort of, you know, break the ice a little bit, sort of a détente. And then, of course... On top of that, the U.S. is going and begging Maduro, who they've been claiming for years is not the president, and they're actually still doing it. Someone asked Ned Price, the State Department spokesperson, if they've changed who they're recognizing, right? Because apparently the, it's the United States who gets to pick the Venezuelan president. So uh, now all of a sudden, after George Bush sanctioned uh, Venezuela and Obama sanctioned Venezuela and Trump sanctioned Venezuela, now all of a sudden they're thinking about, you know, getting that Venezuelan oil back on the global market. So again, another source of oil will lower the prices. So the United States is scrambling left and right uh, to, to secure, you know, to secure oil supplies to stabilize prices. And of course, right now, when you have, in addition to that, the Indians saying, you know what, we don't care about your threats of, of sanctions. We, we, we don't care. We're going to buy oil from Russia anyway at a discount and not in U.S. dollars, in rupees and rubles. Another threat to the petrodollar and another indication that, you know, a nuclear power, one of the biggest countries on Earth, a population of 1.3 billion people is saying, screw you to U.S. sanctions. We're going to do what we want. We're going to maintain ties, and we're actually going to challenge the uh, uh, U.S. hegemony. Again, by itself, it's not much, but all of these things together. And now this with Russia, with Putin saying, you want gas? You don't want to freeze? Pay up in rubles. Game changer. Th this is explosive. And of course, uh, I, I showed you that 
the, the value of the ruble went up a bit. It's not completely recovered. But Putin announced that the bank, the central bank in Russia, and the uh, uh, state-owned uh, gas company, Gazprom, they have one week to figure everything out and arrange it so that all of these gas payments will be done in rubles, not euros and not US dollars. So they have one week. So my suspicion is that in a week, when that actually takes effect, you might, again, I could be wrong, but if a lot of, uh, if uh, European countries do start coughing up, the price of the ruble will go up because they have to. Where, where, do, where do they get the rubles from? They have to go and buy rubles. And so just by you know, increasing the, the demand, the value of the ruble will go up. That will sh uh, uh, help to shore up the currency. Because as you remember, the uh, Russian central bank, uh, give or take half of the Russian central bank's assets, uh, uh, foreign uh, uh, reserves have been frozen, right? So you have a good chunk inside Russia and China. But again, uh, about half of them, because they're spread out all over the world, have been frozen. We looked at the map together just the other day. So this is another way of circumventing that and uh, softening the blow of the Western sanctions on Russia. It's actually very smart. Uh, I, a lot of, I think some people would argue it's, it was to be expected. It's very smart. It, it's, uh, it's very smart. And just going back to the map, just so you can get an idea how dependent Europe is on Russian gas. Again, these figures are from 2020, but they're, they, you know, they're still in the same ballpark. So if you look at Germany, I mean, you know, it's, it's between 40 to 50 percent. Uh, um, uh, in this case, in 2020, 49 percent of Germany's gas comes from Russia. Look, North Macedonia, 100 percent. Finland, 94 percent. Bulgaria, 77 percent. I mean, this is extraordinary. It's extraordinary. Now, again, the UK doesn't get that much, but it doesn't matter. The European continent, uh, you know, uh, uh, as a whole, gets 40%, 4-0 of its gas from Russia. That's 200 to 800 million euros a day. And they got to convert that into rubles now or else freeze, <laughs> no electricity. Um, and of course, what, what the Russians are saying is that uh, the contracts stay the same. So Russia is going to continue to supply the exact same amount of gas that they agreed upon. Nothing has changed except the currency. So the, the price is also not changed. They just want different currency because that will help boost the ruble. Now, what, what has the response been from these European countries? Remember, Germany is, is, uh, is uh, very dependent on Russian gas. So let me show you the response from the German Chancellor Olaf Scholz. Uh, he was asked about this. Uh, it's in German. I'll play the clip for you and translate it uh, 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 right afterwards. Take a look. Zunächst mal versuchen wir uns einen Überblick zu verschaffen. Das, was wir bisher erfahren haben, läuft darauf hinaus, dass es überall feste Verträge gibt, in der die Währung, in der bezahlt wird, auch Teil des Vertrags ist. Und das ist ja etwas, was dann auch gilt. Und da steht meistens Euro oder Dollar. Also das sind die Ausgangslagen, von denen wir ausgehen müssen. Right, so what, what, what uh, Olaf Scholz, the German Chancellor, is essentially saying is that uh, basically they, they've taken a look at the situation and they've, they've, uh, uh, they've seen that there are contracts for these uh, uh, gas deals and more importantly, they have been settled in specific currencies, in euros and US dollars. And so the, their point is that Russia has no right to change that because they, they, they agreed on not just the amount of gas, but also in what currency would be settled. Again, this is, this is uh, 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 usually it's how it's done. Just last month um, in February, 
2022, the Chinese and the Russians settled a 30-year gas deal, mostly of it, most of it in euros. Uh, just to show you the reaction from the uh, uh, German minister of, of economy, the Wirtschafts uh, minister, uh, Robert Habeck. So he's from the the, the Grüne, the Green Party. So he he's saying that basically Putin is breaking, you know, he's breaching the contract. So that, you know, the Germans are not happy about this. Uh, the the Poles uh, are even less happy. Um, they're saying that they're just straight up not going to buy any of the Russian gas in rubles, right? They've, they've come out and said that, no, we're just not doing it. Uh, it's not happening. And again, if we go back to our chart, Poland gets 40% of its gas from Russia in 2020. It's in the same ballpark. Um, so, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens because uh, the idea, the argument from NATO right now, from the West, is that screw Russia, you don't need Russia you know, the UK foreign secretary was saying Russia, uh, Europe needs to reduce its dependence on Russian gas. And you hear this phrase a lot, right? Europe needs to reduce its uh, dependence on Russian gas. So what, what's their solution? Where are you going to replace 40% of your gas? Uh, uh, you know, wh what are you going to replace 40% of your gas consumption with? From, from where? Is it going to fall out of the sky? So some of the options are Algeria, Qatar, the United States, and of course, you're not going to have a pipeline going from the U.S. to Europe. The idea is to bring it with liquefied natural gas. And I told you guys since the beginning, this is just like war. It, it, is, it is war, of course. But I mean, the economic warfare is just like in the case of all-out war, where you have companies profiting off of the chaos. And you have people right now that are dying to profit off of this because what the United States has effectively done is they've shut Russia out of Nord Stream 2. Now, again, Russia can go and uh, engage in power of Siberia 2, and, uh, which is roughly the same um, uh, amount of gas. So it, could, you know, it, it can turn to the east. R Russia has alternatives. What does Europe do? Because the Americans, as I said, Joe Biden was standing next to the German Chancellor Olaf Scholz. And he cucked him, right? He's speaking for the German chancellor, for the Germans, for the Europeans. That, yeah, we're, we're going to cancel Nord Stream 2. Hold on a second. Nord Stream 2 is a Russian-German project, not a Russian-American project. Wh who asked you? It's not your place to cancel the project. It is. You know why? Because <laughs> these are vassal states that we're talking about. Europe. Germany. It's a vassal state, and it's Uncle Sam running the show. And that's, that is really a moment where you, you can just see it right there out in the open. And it's quite embarrassing, honestly, uh, for the Germans and for, for Scholz to be, you know, basically the, the U.S. president is taking decisions for you in front of reporters. So embarrassing. And so the Americans, they, they got Nord Stream 2 cancelled for the time being, at least. Who knows when it will, if, if it will ever be resumed. Uh, and then, of course, uh, in addition to that, uh, they've been trying to get the Europeans to ban Russian energy imports. They can't because there's a, uh, they depend largely on Russia. So what are they offering? Well, for one, Germany has gone to Qatar, right? So this is from The Guardian. It reads, Germany agrees gas deal with Qatar to help end dependency on Russia. So again, this was uh, March 20th. Germany has agreed, on a, uh, has agreed a contract with Qatar for the supply of LNG, liquefied natural gas, that will help the European country wean itself off its dependency on Russian energy. But the contract is a long-term solution and will do little to slow the current flow of European money into Russian coffers, estimated to be worth $285 million a day for oil alone. 
So again, uh, Habeck, we were just talking about him, the economy minister, uh, who was saying that Putin is breaching the contract by demanding rubles. So he's the one who went to Doha uh, and um, is getting this sorted. Now, the United States and the United Kingdom, this is from Reuters, March 24th, uh, they are going to send more liquefied natural gas to Europe, according to the British ambassador. So the U.S. and Britain will work together to ship more LNG to Europe, the British ambassador to Washington said, uh, as officials aim to ease, here we go, European countries' dependence on Russian energy. <laughs> so I am honestly, uh, I'm a bit doubtful because they, they certainly want to make the money, but that's the whole point is uh, this is much more expensive than getting it from Russia. I mean, you, again, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure this out. Just the transportation costs alone, you know, shipping that across an ocean uh, is, is an issue. Ru with Russia, the Nord Stream 2 pipeline is already built. You already have Nord Stream 1. And so that's, not, that's number one, logistically speaking. And then, of course, offloading it. How do you offload this stuff? I, I, people need to understand the infrastructure in the ports to offload the liquefied natural gas does not exist in Europe because it's so stupid to do that, to, to, to rely on LNG. It's too expensive. That's why it doesn't exist in, on a scale that is necessary for what is needed now. And that's why just the other day, we, we were looking at how uh, Germany has now said it's going to build uh, LNG terminals, right? So I, I was um, uh, showing this to you. This was March 6th. Okay, so just a few weeks ago, Germany signs initial contract to build first LNG terminal. So Germany doesn't even have one, right? So why are they doing this? Of course, they're doing this to, again, reduce their dependency on Russian gas. So the idea that you can just, you know, uh, 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 flick a switch and then from one day to the next, uh, get rid of Russian gas uh, and replace it with, uh, you know, LNG from Qatar or the US, I think this is absurd. Who is going to pay for this in the end? Uh, it's the consumers, right? Meaning the, the working class, meaning the civilians. As I keep telling you, when sanctions hit, they never hurt the uh, targeted person. Do you really think for one second that these sanctions on Russia affect Putin's uh, standard of living? Of course not. I mean, don't get me wrong. They hurt, but they're hurting Russians, ordinary Russians, meaning the, the people who are not in the government, who don't have... Wealth, you know, huge piles of cash to fall back on or, or uh, who are in office. And that's not just for Russia. I mean, this is the same everywhere. In Syria, it's the same thing. You know, they say, oh, we have to punish Assad for this and this. But yeah, you're not punishing Assad. Assad, his lifestyle doesn't change. You're punishing people like my cousins. You're punishing civilians who have absolutely nothing to do with the government, who, uh, who have absolutely nothing to do with this war. They're just victims. And again, uh, as I've told you, my, my cousins have told me, sanction, they, they would rather live under the bombs again. Because when Damascus, Damascus is safer now, but back then, a few years ago, it was, it was terrible. Jobar and you had mortars coming down all the time. They would rather have that again than live under the sanctions. That's how bad sanctions are, just in case you, you had any illusions about what it, what it means. It's, it's very bad. It's modern siege warfare. And so, even in the United States, I, what I think is interesting about this situation now is that I think this is one of the first times that people in the West are actually going to feel the blowback of sanctions. Because usually, you know, they slap Iran with sanctions or Venezuela with sanctions or Syria with sanctions, North Korea. And the people over there 
are suffering from that and you never hear about it on the news because they don't want you to know what sanctions are. They make it sound like it's some rosy, peaceful, diplomatic alternative to war. Like it's they're not bombs, so therefore they're okay. No, 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 no. They're just as bad, if not worse, than bombs. And you never see that on the news in Britain, in the US, in the West. They don't want you to know. And they make it sound like it's, oh, it's Putin. Oh, it's Assad. They, they're not being affected by the sanctions. It's civilians. And now people in the West are actually feeling a little bit of those sanctions. And you even have Joe Biden right now who, you know, he's caught lying because before he was saying, well, don't worry, there's no food shortages and everything is fine. You know, there's no issues with the supply chain. And now he's changed his tune. So, so just earlier today, just a few hours ago, uh, Take a look at what he had to say. With regard to food shortage, yes, we did talk about food shortages. And, uh, and it's going to be real. The, the price of these sanctions is not just imposed upon Russia. It's imposed upon an awful lot of countries as well, including European countries and our country as well. Yeah, yes, it is. Absolutely. And I can, I can bloody assure you, if you had explained that to people, if, if the media actually did their jobs, which is to inform the public, if the media in Britain, in Germany, in the West, in the United States, did their jobs and informed the public what sanctions are and how they will be impacted in the West, people would not support this because it's madness. It's madness. I mean, just by virtue of what it does to others, you shouldn't support it. It shouldn't be a selfish thing like, oh, is my wallet going to get hurt? Okay, then I'm against it. And if, if my wallet doesn't get hurt, then yeah, I'm for it. Let those people suffer. No, you should be against it either way because it, it hurts civilians. But they, they didn't tell you this before, did they? You never heard that. They, they were lying. They, they not only omitted this, they actually lied. They were saying, that, yeah, you know, this is necessary and uh, there's no issues with the, the supply chain. And of course, when, when people ask uh, Jem Psaki, the White House spokesperson, you know, what's up with these gas prices? They try to blame it on the pandemic. Now, let's be clear with each other. The gas prices, you know, there's, there was already an energy crisis uh, in Europe and the United States before the war in Ukraine. The prices were certainly going up, but they never mentioned price gouging. Right. They never want to look at the ills of capitalism. Uh, they never want to sh uh, share the blame, take responsibility. They're the ones in power. They blame everything on the pandemic, which, of course, I mean, that, that has an effect, but not only that. But if you listen to Joe Biden or Jen Psaki, they make you think that it's only because of that. And then they took a bad situation and just made it worse. I mean, you I was live with you guys. We were looking at it together at the gas prices, just ballooning. Uh, as, as the uh, uh, you know the the markets were opening uh, on that Monday when they after they hit Russia with these sanctions, you know highest gas prices uh, since uh, 2008 oil highest oil prices since 2008 absolutely ridiculous. So they took a bad situation and just made it worse. And now now they're 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 finally admitting in part that you are the one who has to pay for it, right? People already I see them all the time on Twitter. Uh, uh, you know uh, from my fans, my followers, always talking about how high the gas prices are in the U.S. That is not only because of the sanctions, but certainly absolutely related to the sanctions as well. And uh, this is going to get far worse now, honestly. Uh, the smart thing to do, the diplomatic thing to do is to make sure that Ukraine becomes neutral, get Russia out of there, you know, uh, uh, let everyone go, go home, rebuild the country, make sure that there's no more, you know, 
the, the West should not be using Ukraine as a pawn or a stick to poke the Russians with because they don't care about Ukraine. The West doesn't care about Ukraine. Look how they, they won't even send one, one soldier, one soldier from NATO to fight with Ukraine. That's how much they care about Ukrainians. And so this is very tragic. And the irony here is that they think they're punishing Russia. They're not punishing Russia in the long term. What they're doing now is they're driving Russia into China's arms. I was just talking about this with you, how uh, Union Pay from China came in and linked it to, to Russia's MIR payment system after Visa and MasterCard pulled out. So, you know, Visa and MasterCard just handed their market share in Russia on a silver platter to the Chinese. And now Iran and Venezuela are in talks to link their payment systems to Russia's MIR. So MIR, which was, you know, really just working inside of Russia mostly, um, is now being expanded, you know, intercontinentally. It's going into China, uh, into uh, uh, Venezuela, into Iran. They're basically encouraging Russia to participate more with China, to forge closer relations and ties with China. They're encouraging Iran and Venezuela to do the same with China and Russia. I mean, this is stupid. If you are in Washington, D.C., if, if I were in their, in their shoes, this is the last thing on earth that I would do. Because now you've basically sped up you've you've you know pressed the turbo button on the the process of de-dollarization and the collapse of u.s hegemony yeah you're not going to see it from one day to the next it's going to take time but they they made it faster they sped up the process and the the fact that putin is asking the europeans now to pay in rubles i think is is very smart i don't know if it's going to be the saving grace i don't think it's going to be enough to shore up the ruble to to what it was before the war on february 23rd uh but uh, we'll see what, what the Europeans do, because they're in a big pickle right now. They need to, to pay for gas. They can't just like go to Qatar and replace that in one day. That's not happening. And so, you know, they say it's a breach of contract. Um, I don't know how they're, they're going to handle this. I'm assuming the Europeans will continue to send the payments as usual. They will send the payments in, in euros and dollars. And I think the Russians will just re re keep returning them. And then they can say, well, look, we never breached the contract. The contract said euros. And this uh, in, in, you know, X amount of euros and we sent the X amount of euros. We changed absolutely nothing. But again, uh, this is a double edged sword for Russia, because if the Europeans refuse to pay in rubles, Russia is going to lose that revenue. It could backfire for both. All right. So it's uh, the, the sanctions on Russia are either going to backfire on the West or Russia's move now to ask for rubles is, is going to backfire on Russia. I suspect that given the fact that Europe, Europe's infrastructure is not capable of handling a switch to LNG, I suspect that they're going to cough up the money. Um, we'll see what happens. I, I could be wrong. But uh, this is very, very interesting. And uh, again, the, the, this on its own would not be significant. But the fact that all of these other things are happening that I told you about with China and Saudi Arabia and, and Iran's oil and Venezuela's oil, this is huge. This is a global realignment that you are witnessing in real time. And this is exactly what I mean when I say the real war is not happening in Ukraine. Ukraine is the catalyst. Ukraine is what is causing this global realignment. It's, uh, it's quite extraordinary to watch uh, uh, unravel right before us.